We come now to our reading, which this morning is taken from Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some, who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would, not, he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thanks be to God for his word. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, Lord, as we meditate on this word. I've entitled my message today, Let Us Pray. I'm conscious that the month of prayer is being observed and and being uh, actively participated in in the church here. And I was thinking of that myself because last Sunday at... uh, the, ch- the service I was taking down at Kirkgate Church, I had a passage on prayer. It wasn't the same one. I was taking the theme, pray, pray, and peg away, slightly altering the famous praise, pray, and peg away uh, term. But this one I want to put as, be careful not to misuse prayer. Now, maybe I'm talking to everybody that's the converted in a better commerce who knows what prayer is all about, but I think there's still something we can learn as we think of prayer. And we learn it from Jesus himself who gave us that story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the rich man and the more impoverished man who came together to pray and the spirit within which they prayed. The one wanting to tell God what a wonderful man he was unlike this pleb over here. And the other, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Perhaps you've heard the story but it's worth repeating again, the story of the little girl who was in a household where she learned always to go to bed and to say her prayers. Her dad took her up to the bedroom, saw her into her bed, and then went to remove himself and just thought, I listen to what she's saying. I wonder what she prays about. And he listened to the little girl's prayer. And all he could hear was A, B, C, D, E, F, and so on. The alphabet. He was intrigued and he pushed the door open a little and he said, Why are you saying the alphabet as your prayer? And the little girl's reply to him was, Well, tonight, Dad, I couldn't think of what I should pray for. So I'm giving God all the letters and I'm asking him to make them into a prayer for me. It's a lovely story. It's a funny story. But beyond the funniness and the quaintness, there's an absolute truth. This little girl had got things right for prayer. She recognized the greatness, the glory of God. She recognized his love for her. She recognized that he knew what she wanted even before she said it. And then she allowed him just to create the prayer for her. 
he was to compose the words that would be the blessing on her. And there's a simple but real message there. And it is that we recognize the relationship between the person praying us and God. Because prayer is absolutely all about relationship. What about our prayers? Let's think of how we pray. Are we self-elevating in prayer? Or are we submitting to God in prayer? Are we God-adoring? Or do we ever just so, uh, so forget him that we're God-diminishing? God forbid that we are like that, but it is possible. Are we self-pleasing or are we God-honoring? Is our prayer true, authentic, beginning without words? Because that's where prayer begins. It begins here, inside. It's about us knowing how good is our relationship with him. So prayer is never a fully arrived at discipline. We are learning about prayer every time we kneel to pray or we close our eyes or we bow in prayer. Every time we pray, we are in a process of developing something in that relationship with God. Prayer is never a fully arrived at discipline. We talk about the practice of prayer, and so it is. It's something that we do in process, that kind of practice, but it's something we learn about more and more as we practice it day by day. Dostoevsky, the great Russian writer, was a committed Christian, and he once wrote about how the importance of how prayer was important to him, because prayer was an education. He saw all the developmental things in life as educating him more deeply, and he reckoned that every time he prayed to God, he was being educated in his relationship with God, and he openly wrote about that. I think it's the Brothers Karamazov that he wrote that article, that element into one of the characters. Prayer. I, I, I make a big bold suggestion at this. Prayer is the fundamental element of Christian living. Some of you may say, well, wait, hold on a minute, it's witness, or hold on a minute, it's maybe preaching or teaching. I think prayer comes way before that. It's the fundamental element in Christian living. Many of you will know the name Eugene Peterson, who sadly passed from us onto glory a few months back. He wrote about his training, his training days in, uh, in Seattle, when one of the great scholars, George Arthur Buttrick, who at one time had been a professor in Harvard, Harvard University, was one of his teachers. And he told the class that Eugene Peterson was in, people do not come to church to hear the preacher, not essentially. They come to learn how to pray, and it's your duty to teach them how to pray. Prayer is the fundamental element of faith, not conversion. I'm going to make some bold statements, and I hope that you understand what I'm saying. Conversion is the moment when we transform ourselves, or God transforms us, from being outside of the community of his believing and loving people, when we come into that. But conversion is something that happens in the moment. Unless conversion is an ongoing thing, we're never really converted. So the moment of conversion is not, doesn't stand with prayer because prayer is the element that keeps us coming back to that point and growing from that point. It's not the Bible. 
It can be the Bible reading. It will be what we learn from the Bible. The Bible is the rule book, and it's the history of God and man. It's all about the build-up of the relationship between God and people, his people, and down to my time, through Jesus Christ, his saving grace, the cross, my place in, in that whole... What, it's, it's a holy, informative uh, uh, book. But I get fear today that some people do this. They hold up the Bible. We're people of the book. I'm not fond of people saying they're people of the book. I love the people who say they're people of the message of the book. And when we look in comparative religious terms at other religions, we see how dreadfully, and I mean that, how dreadfully, some people maintain that they are the people of the book. And that takes away from an understanding of what is in the book. I remember being with a a Muslim friend many, many years ago. It was just at the very early stage of my ministry here. I met him. He lectured in electronics in Glasgow University. And he said one of the dreadful things he felt about his Muslim friends was that they talked about being the people of the book, the Quran. And he said, I just wish some of them would read it. That's the important element. So we're not people of conversion. We're not people of the book. I mean the fundamentals are not in that. Nor is a fundamental being a member of the church. Rather, it is in being in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And how, how do we sustain that relationship? We sustain it in prayer. So prayer is the ever element of being a Christian. Prayer is the relational element of being a a Christian. Prayer is the communion, the communing element of being a Christian. And prayer is the lasting element of being a Christian, our faith. You know the old story, if you give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. But if you teach him to learn how to fish and catch fish, you will stave off his hunger for a lifetime. The moment of conversion... The idea of us coming into the community is that of a day. The lasting living in that community for all of us is sustained through prayer. If I learn to pray to Christ, I live, I rest, I am sublimated in joy in a never-ending relationship with my God. So I mentioned, be careful not to misuse prayer. The misuse prayer is no prayer at all because relationship is gone. Like the proud, arrogant man who stood before God and said, I'm not like these others. Look at me, Lord. Have a look at me. Now, there you am. I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm standing before you. Always telling God who he was before God instead of saying, Lord, come and look at me. The little man beside him said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We must safeguard against the misuse of prayer. Prayer is authenticated at the place of repentance. Jesus' intention of the parable was to point out the evil of the self-righteous Pharisee. By the way, that term, self-righteous Pharisee, was a commonly used term in Jesus' time. It was one of those, you know terms that you used in conversation. Oh, he's just like a self-righteous Pharisee, that character. So Jesus was picking a commonly understood phrase 
and he was bringing it into teaching his people. I often think, just as a side to that, the term self-righteous, I struggle with that. Because if you're self-orientated, you've lost some righteousness. And if you're righteous, you're elevating God and not self. But that's just a personal thing to me. Self-righteous Pharisee was a phrase known. The passion of Christ was to instruct people how to pray and understand prayer, the relationship element of prayer between them and God. D.L. Moody, the great preacher of the end of the 19th century, uh, he said in, in one of his books, he wrote one of his books, he said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. That was quite something. Then he went on to tell, you know, he was a great preacher, so that's why I say it's quite something. He went on to say why he would rather be able to pray. He said, Jesus never taught his disciples to preach. He only taught them how to pray. Prayer is operated in a state of humility. Verse 14 just gives us the whole story to that. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee was intent on telling God how much God should be pleased with him, and the tax collector wanted God to be merciful to him. Why is the Pharisee so bad? Am I being down too much on the Pharisee? Well, I'll tell you what he does that I find problematic. He doesn't give God options. He tells God. He doesn't give God options. And that's what we as Christians ought always to do. We must always allow God's options to be there in our relationship with him. I often repeat the words when I'm praying, maybe praying over somebody or praying for somebody, praying for something within myself, not as I will, but according to your will, Almighty God. And that kind of relationship is very important, knowing where I stand before the God of all gods. Prayer begins in the inner reaches of the heart, in the soul, in other words. The Pharisee's prayer was holding God at arm's length. Just let me tell you about me, God. I wonder... I wonder if there are people in the church, I'm sure not here, but I wonder if one of the elements that seems to be evident in the decline of the church in certain areas of the world and yet the rising of the church in other areas of the world is because we think, or they think, whoever it is, that they've sussed it all out. We know what, what it is like to be the people of God. We've got it sorted out. Whereas... Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Be like this man who seems to feel that he's impoverished. His heart is hurting. And he says to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what's important at this point is that we understand there are two broken hearts there. God's heart is broken because of our sin. And our heart is broken before God to come into a right relationship with him. What a wonderful place where the broken-hearted divine comes to the broken-hearted human and they bind together to find that forgiveness is flowing in plenty. 
God and that person stay close in prayer. The Pharisee kept his distance. He did a comparison thing. He just wanted God to be reminded that he wasn't like the others. He was a special person. The tax collector saw God as the one who would break his heart for him, who would love him, who would gather him into his love and would reform him. He's the one that would take pity on him. I want to bring these thoughts to a conclusion by saying this passage is not about prayer and it is about prayer. It is initially about the nature of two people and the relationship between these two people and God. But in that is the illustration of where we ought to be or where we should learn to be in our attitude of prayer before God. I remind you of verse 14 once again. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It is about each person's relationship and therefore their attitude to God. One of the greatest leaders that this world has ever known, I think, is Abraham Lincoln. And sometimes our prayer might be that one such as Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of all the turmoil of the world, could stand again. And you probably know Abraham Lincoln was a committed Christian And he prayed every day. And he wrote this quite late in his life, not long before he was taken away. I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. Was that the prayer of the self-righteous man? Or was that the prayer of the humble tax collector seeking the blessing of Almighty God. Prayer flows out of feelings and conviction. Some people don't like the word feelings because it sounds emotional and uh, many people over the years have condemned Christians when they just seem to be too emotional about things. I have no problem at all in saying that prayer flows out of feelings and conviction to share, to plead with God, to spill out our pain, to talk to him about others that we are terribly vexed for, to wonder what next he wants us to do, to seek his comfort for our pain, to bring his peace into our lives, to bring blessing and assurance for us from this time forward. All these and much, much more are in that relationship that we have with God in prayer. Feelings, feelings are there in multitude form. But at the same time, the conviction that God is divine and we are the mortals that can receive that which is at the heart of God. The intellect is not absent. The mind is not put out of gear. But because it is about a relationship, It is about our heart's desire meeting with God's heart's desire. And we do that in prayer with somebody we love very, very dearly. Prayer begins deep within 
before a word is spoken. And when it comes in that order, prayer changes things. Not the prayer itself, but the one who hears us and loves us so much that he gathers us, as it were, into his arms, into his plans, into his hopes, into his eternity. Almighty God, hear this my prayer for us all. Let us see ourselves before you as those who plead, those who receive, those who find blessing, because our relationship with you will never end. Amen.